We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> we are back for another edition of my bloody podcast this week episode number 62 coming straight at you bloody and everything in between i'm brian kluger with boomstickcomics.com and highdefdigest.com and this amazing podcast my bloody podcast on itunes stitcher radio and google play to my left, my right, in front, and in back. Behind, yeah. Behind is my, uh, my, my favorite person to tell me scary stories and the person I would want to go on a, a killing revenge spree with, Preston Barta of Fresh Fiction and Denton Record Chronicle. Preston, how the hell are you? I am so good. I'm your I'm your nightingale too. You're my nightingale. Yes. Oh my goodness. This is a double feature episode. Our main feature presentations are will be the new film Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and the new horror film. Well, horror film, uh, I would say thriller uh called Nightingale. Um Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was done by Andre Overdahl. And Grimmel del Toro, Nightingale, is Jennifer Kent's second feature film, uh, her first being Baba Duke, but we'll get to that later for sure. Uh, we have a bloody question, bringing bloody question back, which will be super fun. But first, a bit of the bloody news for you, bloody bits of news. Um, I, I'm not sure. We usually talk about trailers, but I don't remember a, uh, seeing a trailer unless I missed something. Are there any trailers uh, that we should talk about horror-wise? I didn't. Uh, one I wanted to watch that I haven't watched yet was the the latest trailer for the Adams Family cartoon animated movie that's coming out. Did you see that one by chance? Or have I, you seen the first one? Yeah, I saw the first one, and I just, you know... <laughs> it's gonna be very difficult to get over the live action two films that were so good. So I just I don't know. In the animated series, I grew up on the animated series, right? In the, of course the original series too, but it's uh, true. Um, I don't know. I, new animated is kind of like you know it's not Pixar, but it looks kind of like Hotel Transylvania type stuff. Yeah, like something like a in between of. I don't know, like maybe something closer to Pixar and, uh, but maybe through the filter of, uh, uh, damn it, Tim Burton's Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare Before Christmas and like Henry Selleck type of animation. It has that kind of weird look, but it's like they're trying to take inspiration from that and make it their own. So yeah, Hotel Transylvania, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, so I don't know. Hopefully it's still – because, like, the, the two feature films that had uh, Raul Julia and uh, Angelica Houston, they were, they're so good. Both films were great. They were – they both had, like a, like, a fun sadistic side to it and were really funny. And 
Uh, they just mixed it perfectly, and I hope they kind of do it with this, but it doesn't look like it. So I, I mean, I, I, I love pretty much like all the stuff that's come out about Adam's family. So I'm a little more optimistic about this one. Um, but you know, it's been said on social media and Twitter specifically that this cast of, um, Charlize Theron and, uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. The guy from Ex Machina. Oh, Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac, man, terrible. Uh, like they look like they would be perfect for a live action form. So I don't know why they didn't do that. Right? Like, I mean, maybe they wanted, maybe there's like a, like a huge crazy sequence where they couldn't really do it live action style, which makes me angry too. But I don't know. Is what Adam's family works so well is with like the family dynamic and, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of like, you know, torture your brother. That's what, you know, is expected. And that's like them being good parents, but it's so funny because it's not normal. <laughs> You know, it's just I, I, they did that so well in the two live action films. So I hope that kind of transfers over here uh, with a new story. But I, I don't know. I, I'm going to go in with a very uh, skeptic, a bit skeptical of it. It might be a pretty decent film. Maybe something along the lines of Monster House. Like that movie came out and I remember enjoying it when it came out. But we do not talk about it anymore. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but from what I remember, I I quite enjoyed that film. But I was also probably like 15 or something at the time that it came out. Yep. So, Adam's Family, new trailer. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Uh, well, well, oh, oh uh, I said two, I think. Uh, the, the other one, I believe it's called Low Tide. Um, it's not really a horror movie, but it's from A24, and it has a pretty good cast. It has this feel of being like a stand-by-me kind of film. Um, it has uh, the kid that plays Bill in uh, the most recent It movie. Um, but it, it looks pretty good. It's kind of a shitty put-together trailer, though. Um, but the material has me pretty interested. And I believe that's what it's called. But uh, it's coming out through A24, but it's also A24's partnership with DirecTV, which is not the most uh, – uh, it's not the best sign for a A24 movie because usually that's just kind of like the dumping ground for them. Uh, but there has been like a few – that have gone to DirecTV from A24 that have been pretty decent, but not strong enough to get that kind of theatrical run. But um, it, the material has me pretty uh, interested. So, All right. Low Tide and Adam's Low, Family. Low Tide. It just sounds like uh, those titles that they came up with like on Entourage. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I think one of them was actually called High Tide. <laughs> High Tide, you're just like looking for things like, oh yeah, let's do that. Low Tide. So uh, those are the trailers. Not not a whole lot of, I think, I feel like it's kind of like a slow news day, but um, or slow news week, really, horror-wise. But there's a couple cool things we'll talk about. Uh, one of them is a new horror streaming app, horror movie streaming app, 
called Full, full Moon uh, Pictures. Full Moon, if you remember the Full Moon Pictures, they released a bunch of kind of like B-horror movies. So they have their first streaming app out now. You can download it pretty much on any iOS or Android, Apple TV, any of that. So I downloaded it and uh, looked around it for a little bit. So what we have here right now with Full Moon Features, uh, that's what it's called, not Full Moon Pictures, Full Moon Features, um, but it kind of like their catalog of movies that they've released over the years or that they have access to. And right now their library is kind of small with a little over 500 movie titles. So you can, like the the bigger ones that I recognize are like the whole Puppet Master franchise is on there. And then uh, Lucio Fulci's Zombie, which we love, and Dario Argento's Deep Red, which we love. And then it oh, just. That's cool that they have that. Yeah. I, I was just expecting it was just going to be like a haul of straight to DVD or straight to video releases. That's basically. I mean, I just named you like six movies, basically, and the rest of the 500 are like that. So you can expect. Like, like those Bong movies or whatever they're the called. The whole Evil Bong series, Ouija's. Um, Calendar Girls, uh, She-Wolf of the SS type stuff, you know, Girls of the SS. Like some really cool Grindhouse stuff, uh, but a lot of straight-to-video stuff. But they also have uh, all of the Elvira Ten Nights of Horror stuff on there, and as well as William Shatner's Horror Nights, which is pretty mm. cool. Because uh, that stuff you kind of can't find. And then the rest of it, you know, all these old grindhouse schlocky movies that we love that are, like, kind of slowly being released through maybe Vinegar Syndrome or Scream Factory. A lot of, like, the very B or even C movies are on Full Moon Features. So it's there. It's free to download. However, it comes with the monthly price of $6.99 to subscribe to it or... $59.99 Fifty nine ninety nine a year, so you kind of save the money if you pay for the whole year. So I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a go. Uh, I think if you sign up, you get a, a week free. So uh, yeah, Full Moon Features. Just type that in. Um, full Moon Streaming is the streaming service, but it will, just type in Full Moon Features and you'll see it. And I mean, for horror fans, I think it's great that we have access to this. But then again. Damn it, it's another streaming service you have to pay for in addition to already Shutter and everything else. So is it worth it? I'm not sure yet because I haven't – I just downloaded it. Um, but I like that there's access to it, Six ninety nine or 60 bucks a year for you know 500 titles right now. But I'm sure hopefully if they get enough subscribers, they might be able to add original content. But I don't know. What do you think, Preston? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the thought of – more streaming services is just so overwhelming, but totally understandable because it's an exciting endeavor to, especially when you're a, because I know of Full Moon Features, that they have a pretty big presence at Texas Frightmare Weekend, and they put out really cool collections, uh, specifically for Puppet Master. They have like this whole like wardrobe uh, suitcase type of thing where you can watch all 10 films or whatever, how many there are. But, uh, I don't like, those are, those are very enjoyable films, but I don't know if it's one that I'm willing to make that sort of commitment to, but, uh, I'll, I'll try out the 
the week free trial and then just see if it's worth uh, pursuing because there might because uh, that's what I like about the Voodoo channel uh, like because you can watch a lot of free stuff on there and a lot of that stuff that they have on there is just like garbage movies and that's pretty much what's going to be on there no offense to full moon features but um it's it is nice to know that there are some quality stuff in there like deep red that's sprinkled in there so uh if i try out that free week and i thumb through it and i find that there's more than just straight to video type of stuff which can be classy and fun i do enjoy that type of stuff like vinegar syndrome love all the stuff that they do, but uh, I don't know if it's something that I'm willing to pay six ninety nine for when I don't even own Shutter. Right, and it's you know it's very bare bones right now. Like the actual app itself is pretty looking. Like all the artwork for all like the movies is really good. But like again, like content is key. So you know, unless you're looking for like the entire Ginger Man franchise or Puppet Master franchise. <laughs> Which you can go buy on DVD for like $5. Right, right. And you can have it forever instead of paying a subscription fee. I don't know. There's just not a lot of, uh, not a lot of um, stuff yet on there. So how do you feel about – because it's going to happen more and more. Like NBC's doing it. Um, but with NBC specifically, they their biggest uh, – Selling point is The Office because that's moving from Netflix to uh, NBC streaming service. But uh, uh, how do you feel about like a lot of these streaming services that aren't necessarily like coming out uh, with new content like Disney Plus? That granted they have a lot of money and they can afford to make so many Marvel and Star Wars uh, original TV shows and movies. But for these other ones that are kind of smaller, uh, they're they're not necessarily putting out original content. Should they have? Should, I mean, it could be like uh, a test thing. They got to make sure this thing is uh, sturdy enough to last. While you know, with NBC having the Office and then Disney having all this other stuff, it seems like like that's going to be around for a long time. This stuff could just falter. No, I, I, I'm super pissed off about it. Like, I do not like where it's going at all because everybody just wants their own thing and it's just like god damn it what was wrong with amazon and netflix and hulu you know i'm excited about the disney plus because they have such a huge catalog of stuff and it's gonna be 6.99 for or, for like three or something like that well, you can get like hulu be, yeah it'll be 12.99 for hulu espn and disney and then you know that's insane amount of content and crazy like i pay more than 12.99 just for my hulu right now you know, so I wonder, I'm curious on, like, if I want to do that and add on if I can get everything for a cheaper price. But when somebody like Full Moon is doing six ninety nine for literally 500 titles that, you know, 80% of them you don't care about, it's kind of ridiculous. And so a lot of play, a lot of streaming services are doing that. And, you know, I don't like that CBS does it just because, you know, <laughs> every other network does it for free. So yeah. I don't... Even though, like, yes, I like the Star Trek stuff, and, you know, it's nice watching without commercials, but there there comes a point. Twilight Zone. Yep. Yes, yes. So it's just, it's insane to me. It's, you know, it's going to become a point where it's like everybody has their own separate thing. It's like, why can't we just 
what was wrong with the model of Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime, or unless you're Disney and you own literally everything right now, do the top four and just get money from these guys for your content instead of having literally 20 apps out there and paying six to 12 bucks for each of them. I just, I don't like it. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, it's, I'm very curious to know where we'll go in the future because obviously this streaming service is just, it's the hot thing at the moment. And so all these other uh, networks are probably going to be doing it. Uh, they probably already have the plans going. And then uh, and then it's just going to be very, like I said earlier, overwhelming for people who want – like I love that my wife and I can watch Hulu Live and we can just watch whatever. It's kind of nice. It's, it, it's like, you know, when you have Spotify – and you're listening to a bunch of stuff and you're, you're like so thrilled in the moment, but every once in a while you want to be like, I don't want to be in control anymore. I kind of like just that a movie like son-in-law will come on on TV and I'll be like, and I probably wouldn't have gone to my library and been like, Hmm, let's watch son-in-law. Um, I just like that. There's that you have some people make the selection for you. And I like that kind of, uh, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't say freedom, but, but somebody else kind of does the, the work for you. And I don't know, it's just like, it's a big discussion and maybe there might be like more stuff, uh, companies like Disney or something going to be buying out these other companies and then they're going to bundle them all together or it's just going to cause so many audiences to be, be kind of more narrow. Like their focus is going to be narrow because they're just, they're, these streaming services are just trying to capture certain audience members. And then we're going to be going out into the world, having conversations with other people and be like, Oh, what kind of stuff do you got? I got Hulu. I got Netflix and that's it. And then other buddy, other people will say, I got CBS and stuff. And then, uh, that's just probably going to be how it's going to be. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. And I, I mean, I subscribe to quite a few of them <laughs> and I still pay less than cable still, but I just, you know, being Disney offering their Disney Plus service for six ninety nine, and then this full moon doing six ninety nine, it just doesn't. It, it it's not balanced. So like, I, if sure. full moon was doing like ninety nine cents or something like that a month, I could understand it, given their content and what they're putting out. But for twelve ninety nine, if you get all of Hulu, all of ESPN, and all of Disney, including Marvel, Star Wars, and everything else, I mean, it's just a, it's. That's that's crazy good, you know. Like I feel like I would pay more for the Disney thing, but then again, you know, just because they have so much great content. Yeah, there's more universal appeal with Disney. Right, right, and like for horror fans like us, for full moon streaming and full moon features, you know, that's cool and I like it. It's just it, it it's not necessary. I feel yeah. like they could have, you know, e- either gone to Shutter or you know exclusively on hulu with like all the full moon stuff is out there awesome sweet so i don't know i just i don't see how big this full moon thing will be lucrative for them as opposed to like maybe getting paid from hulu a lump sum of money i don't know sure so oh well but uh, full moon streaming app it's out there go look for it full moon features uh but yeah we'll move on to the next bloody bit of news uh, there's a new horror film from Happy Death Day director, um, which I know you're a fan of, right, Preston? 
Yeah, I love the Happy Death Day movies, and I, I'm I'm a bit sad because Christopher Landon, the director of those two films, uh, put on Twitter not too long ago that it doesn't look like a Happy Death Day three is going to be coming anytime soon because I guess Happy Death Day to you, despite how good it was and how enjoyable it was for me and other people, it just didn't do as well as they wanted it to for it to kind of uh, earn a third film. Um, which is sad, but, uh, I guess the good news is that, yeah, Christopher Landon's going to be directing a new horror movie for Blumhouse, um, which is exciting. I, I, I like, I mean, for, for instance, I really like that Jordan Peele didn't make like get out Two or something like that. He just made his own thing. And so, uh, a lot of times filmmakers can kind of get stuck. Uh, with this particular with a series and I would rather you know sometimes especially when it's something like really good and it um, I, I, I like the idea of them kind of branching off so it's it's uh, it has its pluses and minuses I guess that we don't get a third but uh, nice that we're going to be getting a new horror film uh, as far as what that horror movie is there's not much out there so that's pretty much just you're going off the excitement of the the headline being happy death day uh director is doing new horror movie with blumhouse um uh plot details uh according to a few websites they say that it's pretty vague but uh it will center on a killer who wreaks havoc in a small town which is a very familiar premise but um, given the type of material that was served to us with happy death day to you especially for how emotional uh, surprisingly emotional happy death day to you was um i it has me excited as to where it could go like taking familiar stuff like a slasher film but uh feeding it uh more i don't know thrilling moments and emotional moments and dra- dramatic moments um i i believe that christopher landon can do that so that has me excited so i guess we'll just see um, where things go and as information comes to us and we'll have more to report. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we will keep you posted. Moving on, it's a day to rejoice, a day to be joyous and full of fun and excitement because, because Edgar Wright has a new movie coming out and it's a new horror film too. I cannot wait. He's coming back to horror. Edgar Wright with a film called Last Night in Soho. And uh, it is going to be released September 25th, 2020, almost a little more than a year from now. And it stars uh, Anya Taylor-Joy from The Witch and Glass and uh, Split, as well as Matt Smith, of course. Uh, Thomason McKenzie and Kristen Wilson-Kearns, who wrote the script. So, who did Penny Dreadful? So, this is set in London's Soho district, and that's kind of all we know, but it will be a psychological horror movie, and oh my god, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Baby Driver, and The World's End. I mean, Edgar Wright is one of our favorite people ever, so anything he's going to do, I'm all in. So, Preston, excited? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Especially Matt Smith being involved in it to uh he's gonna be one of the people that's gonna star in the film and um like i said uh most recently with that charlie says movie the manson film i just thought he was really great in that so i'm i'm a big fan of his at the moment i'm i i haven't watched uh doctor who but he's a great doctor great doctor yeah 
but uh, I'm, I'm excited about this cast. I, I like Anya Taylor-Joy a lot, and I like that she's just kind of just hanging around the horror thriller genre, which is very cool. And, uh, yeah, it's always exciting when it there, it doesn't even have to be a horror movie. Like any Edgar Wright movie is exciting because you can expect style and humor and, um, great, uh, needle drops. Um, so it's going to be fun. Yep. It's going to be good. I'm excited for it. And I forgot his other film that I love dearly, Scott Pilgrim vs. the world. Yes. Uh, just every movie he does is excellent. And I just, I'm happy and he's happy. He's returning to horror with last night in Soho. So like the, like a uh, happy death day director, new horror film. That's all kind of, we know about this. So we will definitely update you on those two films for sure. Um, and then we're going to move on to our last bit of news here, uh, which is interesting, which uh, I'm very curious about, and I hope they don't fuck it up because this movie is unbelievably good. Um, Event Horizon, that movie is scary as shit. It's an evil fucking movie. Yes. I love it so much. But it looks like it's going to be a TV series for Amazon with our boy Adam Weingard, Adam Wingard, uh, Coming to direct it, which I think we've both talked to Adam before, uh, interview-wise. Yes, we have. Um, I mean, I love, you know, of course, The Guest and You're Next. but And I think you and I kind of differ a little bit on the Blair Witch reboot. Uh, but there is some good stuff in there. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen Death Note. And we have not seen Godzilla versus Kong, but, uh, I don't, I, I, like he knows how to handle the horror genre as he's proved, uh, has proven, but, um, I enjoy him best when he's kind of deconstructing the horror genre. And, uh, this is like event horizon is one of the scariest movies I ever seen. Uh, it gave me quite a few nightmares when I was young and, uh, just, just, it's, based on its imagery alone. And, um, I feel like Adam Wingard is, like I said, best when he's, you know, exploring, uh, like what works and doesn't work about the horror genre, uh, and is, uh, providing commentary there. And when you're dealing with something like event horizon, which is a little more head on, um, I don't know if his skill set is there. Um, in the way that has me completely eager to see like what he'll do. But, um, I think event horizon is rich with, uh, possibilities. Um, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. There you go. Uh, I echo Preston there. Uh, I just, I hope they don't mess it up. I like event horizon too much. And still to this day, that movie scary is scary as hell. So uh, I'm all in for that. Let, let's. We, it seems like we gave a lot of a uh, lot of news that kind of like only like little bit of details. Like I said, slow news week really, and uh, so I, I'd imagine we're going to be updating everyone on all of this news very soon, and we're excited about it too. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to our bloody question of the week. We're bringing back our bloody question. Uh, went away for a couple of weeks. It's back now. Uh, we decided to see, oh, let's do a bloody question. And we were very excited because we got a lot of comments on it. So our bloody question this week is, if you could get Guillermo del Toro to direct your favorite book, which one would it be? You know, 
like, so since Guillermo del Toro loves making movies set in, like, the magical realm of fantasy horror stories, kind of something like that, fairy tales, what book do you think uh, he would do an amazing job of transferring to film? Preston. Um, Hellboy 3. <laughs> um, <laughs> One of the stories from Hellboy. Goddamn yeah. yes. Um, I'm, I mean, Pinocchio, I'm excited that he's doing that, uh, I guess finally, since it's been like in the works for a long, long time. Uh, but you know, they could still pull the plug on it. Um, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, like huge. It is my go-to, uh, escapism. It just puts me in a good mood. Um, the, the, I love the first four movies, even though they get, you know, I could, as a critic say that they get better and better. Um, but the third one prisoner of Azkaban is like the best one to me. I really like its dark tone and the creature design that Alfonso Cuaron did. And I would love if, uh, Guillermo del Toro, let's say he had a time machine and could go back and use the exact same cast, uh, to do, the first two Harry Potter movies, which have that kind of classic, you know, Christopher Columbus directed those and he has that, you know, he did like Mrs. Doubtfire and uh, quite a few other films. Um, I, I would love to see what, what kind of dark approach he would bring to the first two Harry Potter movies, which has, you know, cool looking creatures in it. And that's where Guillermo del Toro excels as a, as a, a visionary. And so I would love to kind of, see like what dark approach he would bring to that, um, that world. So that, that would be my, my pick. There you go, man. Hellboy three. God. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Just ignore everything I said. Hellboy yeah, three, just Hellboy three. <laughs> After he said Hellboy three, my mind went blank. <laughs> I was like, yes, we need this. Okay. Uh, my suggestion would be a book called Carter beats the devil. Holy shit, what a great book. I can't believe it's never been adapted into a movie called Carter Beats the Devil by David Allen Gold. Please buy that book and read it. It is unbelievably good. And I think, I do believe, Grimaldo Toro will do it justice. It's about a magician who is an amazing magician who has um, the president of the United States come uh, this, again, this is set back, you know, like a hundred years ago. Uh, he has the president uh, come and see his magic show, and the magician brings the president up in front of a big audience and come on stage to do a trick. And the trick is he's going to cut the president up into very, very little pieces. And the magic trick, he does it, cuts the president up into pieces, and then voila, he's put back together and it's fine and great. The president of the United States sits back down and then goes on with the show. Huge applause. And then right after the show, the president dies. And everybody is out to get this magician. Uh, and it is so good. And it has, like, um, like elements of historical uh, stuff to it as well as fiction in it. But it's, like, a really cool, mystical, magical world that is very thrilling and uh, kind of a little scary. So I think uh, Grimaldo Toro will do that justice. And, God, I mean, uh, that book is so good. I just 
been trying to tell people for years about that book, and it's, it's great. So, uh, Preston, if you have time to read, read that book. <laughs> All right, I'll read it to Roe. <laughs> You'll read it to Roe. Good, good, good. But we asked this question on Reddit, and uh, we got some good good responses. We got, uh, right as of right now, we got 30 responses to it. So, pretty pretty good so far. So, uh, the the top post came from uh, Tarantula, no, Tarantulanus, said, still waiting for the day when he gets to do At the Mountains of Madness. So, Mm. you know, I think we've talked before that Grimaldo Toro has kind of taken on like 170,000 projects at once. And one of them was at the Mountains of Madness. And, of course, I don't think it's ever going to happen. So uh, there it is. Um, but, yeah, at the Mountains of Madness was one. Um, Ink Smudged Hand said, I really like to see Del Toro get another crack at the girl with all the gifts, which came out recently on Blu-ray a couple years ago with the zombie girl. Uh, didn't like the first adaptation. I think it missed the allegory of the novel completely. And he knows how to do a world through the perspective of a young girl. He also knows how to handle allegories as well. I think he would be perfect for it. What do you think, Preston? Uh, I mean, I don't have that connection with the book, but I did enjoy the film having no relationship with the source material. So uh, I guess I don't really quite align with this person. But if they feel that there's more meaty material in the book, that would have made it more interesting, I believe it. There you go. Muffin Man 908. He's an angry guy, says, I'm still pretty bitter about The Hobbit. <laughs> Didn't really answer the question, but got his sense in. It would have been funny if the Muffin Man had picked Pinocchio. It would have been a deep Shrek It would. Re- it really would have, like layers there, like, like onions. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's one too. There is one. Uh, Monculus said, uh, Weave World. I reckon he'd have just the right touch of magic and horror needed. Uh, Feral Fizzgig said, I was going to say The Talisman by Stephen King, which is kind of similar, but I'm down for more Clive Barker as well, which Clive Barker did Weave World. Uh, Thunderwolf said, I would prefer him directing a Dark Thundercats live movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Phil Rivers on Tracked. I'd love him to direct the Graveyard book. He's a director that brings a level of horror to kids and families that doesn't shy away from a little scare but isn't too off-putting. Mike, 1883, can't tell if it's a joke post, but The Giving Tree. Hmm. Not sure how we would go about that. There would have to be so much. That tree would be pretty scary looking. Yes, it would. It might might even be the tree from Pan's Labyrinth. I don't know. Probably. Yeah. Uh, We Feed the Fire said Pinocchio, but that's only because I know he's been trying to secure funding for it for years. Uh, The Dead Sea also said Weave World. Um, Dang Tamales said, I'd love to see what he'd do with House of Leaves. So, uh, and then somebody said he would think, Darren Aronofsky would think House of Leaves would work better for Darren. Uh, someone, uh, Aragon108 said, The Stand from Stephen King. They think that would be a perfect match. Mm. Which, I don't know about that. I think he would be good for some some sort of king adaptation but i don't know about that one right uh nameless boy 117 said witcher is his favorite book and he would like uh del toro to do that as well as bloodborne or a high 
budget Bloodborne TV series. Uh, Punt Your Junk. <laughs> These names are great. Punt Your Junk also says Weave World by Clive Barker. Uh, Spectro Magic said Frankenstein or The Historian. Uh, I, I would like to see his Frankenstein. That would be pretty cool, I think. Uh, so, yeah, there's a few others. I'm not going to go into the rest of them. But, yeah, I think... Uh, I think Weave World kind of won one out with from Clive Barker, which Clive Barker is a big, uh, big horror fan as well. So email us at mybloodypodcast at gmail dot com if you have any other suggestions, or find this on Reddit. You can find the question now uh, in its front page. So yeah, perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, do you want to do a bloody recommendation this week, or do you want to go straight into the feature presentation? Uh, yeah, we could do a quick recommendation. Okay, quick recommendation. Go for it. Press down. Uh, <clears throat> my pick this week is a 1976 uh, slasher of sorts called Alice Sweet Alice. Alice was too old to play with dolls and too young to make love. Brooke Shields, as you've never seen her before. She was too beautiful to play with boys and too young to play with men. So Alice began to play with death. She's made a repeated request that the kids see a psychiatrist. She has a knack of making things look like accidents. No more dolls, no more toys. Alice only plays with bodies. It's too late to save her. A story of unnatural love and unnatural death. Uh, It's also known as Communion. Uh, like, uh, if you pop in the film that was most recently, I think it came out this week actually. Uh, but part of, by the time this goes up, it'll be the, uh, previous week. Um, it came through, came through, uh, arrow video. And when you, sometimes when you play a movie, it will have a different title that comes out on screen versus the one that's on the cover. Uh, that happens with like blue underground stuff too. Uh, like it'll have like a slip cover or like one side of the cover art is one way. But then if you have reverse cover art, it has like the title that it went by when it released, but they changed the name to be a little more marketable on video. So anyway, this is a, a pretty, a lot of people say it's pretty underrated and I believe and uh, I, I would, I have to agree. Uh, this is a slasher film that just got swept under the rug, essentially. And uh, I think, uh, t- to me, the ultimate slasher is uh, Black Christmas. But this one kind of has echoes of that. Um, it's not it's not as concentrated as Black Christmas. Uh, the story is a, it's a bit complicated, but it does concentrate on family dynamics very similar to um rosemary's baby but it deals with a killer uh in this in this small town um one girl uh, actually played by brooke shields very young brooke shields uh and they pretty much just use her name even though she's only in it for like five minutes um because she's like the first person that gets killed uh, and, and I won't get into like serious spoilers here because there's like, you know, a mystery and that's what makes it fun. 
but uh, they use her name as like the the way to kind of pull people into it. But yeah, she's only in it for five minutes. But uh, her character is killed uh, quite brutally, I have to say, too. She is uh, suffocated and then thrown into a booth at a church and then set afire. And then the right during a uh, mass or like when they're doing a communion, actually. And uh, it's kind of horrifying. But uh, what makes this exciting is, you know, a lot of slasher films, um, they what makes it fun is that mystery element of trying to figure out like, oh, who who like Scooby Doo, like who's behind the mask. And so that this movie kind of plays with your perspective uh, or plays with your mind a bit as to like what it could be in a lot of misdirection. And that's what makes it fun that after you watch it, you're like, Oh shit, uh, this guy, this director did a really good job of, uh, making it seem like it's like this way when I first watched it. But then when I watch it again, I'm like, Oh shit, there, there it is. So, um, it's a lot of fun. Um, uh, it's very, it's way more emotional and dramatically driven than I was expected because, it does focus on – I mean it's it's pretty much a drama that has like this horror backdrop uh, in it. And uh, that's what often makes like horror films uh, more engaging is when they put a lot of focus into the character, uh, not so much uh, capitalizing on the, the concept. So – um, it's pretty exciting. And yeah, like I said, Aero video put it out recently, really great cover art, cool extras, that whole thing. So, uh, yeah, check out 1976's Alice, sweet Alice. There you go. Alice, sweet Alice. Uh, my quick suggestion this week is the new Amazon prime original TV series, the boys. Soups lose hundreds of people each year. Collateral damage. It's fucking diabolical. They're all like that? All of them. Yeah. Pardon my French. Fuck those fuckers. I've got the boys together. No. Join us. To do what? Spank the bastard. For Robin. And then... It is excellent. I highly recommend everybody watch it. It's eight episodes for the first season... It's based on a comic book by Garth Ennis, who did Preacher and Crossed, amongst many others. It is hardcore violent and vulgar and everything else. Uh, you will see all of the uh, strong sexual content, nudity, everything in every episode. Uh, and it's about uh, set in a world where superheroes uh, save the world uh, from, you know, terrorists and other things. Uh, these superheroes are not like the superheroes you really know. They are actually really uh, bastard evil people uh, that really only care about their brand and are run by a company called Vought, which uh, is an evil corporation. And these heroes are very bad and horrible. So very first scene of the book and the very first scene of the series, you see a couple, a young couple – you know, talking on the street, they're in love, they know they're all doing this stuff, and then all of a sudden the girl in the relationship just bursts into a blood and bones and brains and guts. 
you're like, what just happened? And then one of the superheroes who runs fast, super speed, ran into her, and he doesn't stop. He's like, I got to keep going to do what he's doing. And this kind of sets off a trigger of this group of, they call themselves the boys, to kind of keep these superheroes in check by any means necessary, even killing them. But you see that the boys uh, are just not good people at all and need to be taken out. So it is a great show and a very different take on superheroes. And, oh, my, this is a movie that or a TV show that if you're looking for hardcore stuff, it is a super A-plus a uh, grade uh, hardcore, violent, bloody, and tense, and darkly comedic, all good stuff in it. Um, Preston, I know you're going to love this show. Yeah, I've been. It's been recommended to me by quite a few people, uh, primarily by one of the guys that I work with, and he asked me like every day, kind of like you with um, Letter so. Kenny. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I guess I just got to you know get into it, and, and I and I was excited about doing. It. I even had like an opportunity to watch it before it came out, and I to review it, and I. I just didn't have the time. So. You're going to be pissed at yourself you didn't take that opportunity because holy shit, man, it is damn good. And you're going to be like, damn, this movie, this show is great. Uh, that and, of course, Black Summer, that zombie show on Netflix. My goodness, yeah. I can't give it enough. Uh, but, yeah, uh, The Boys, Amazon Prime. So those are our suggestions, our recommendations. But let's move on to our double feature, main feature presentation uh, which we'll get into Nightingale and scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, we'll start with Nightingale first. We both watched this. Again, Jennifer Kent directed it. Uh, she directed The Babadook a couple of years ago, which we loved. This is a very different film than The Babadook. Uh, this is a, a revenge flick uh, set in, I believe, the 1800s, maybe before then. Uh, and yeah, we both watched it, but I know, um, I know Preston has stuff to say about it. So I'm going to let Preston take this one and he can ask me what I thought about it <laughs> because I'm sure we probably have similar thoughts to it. Uh, maybe, uh, but yeah, it's set in 1825 and it involves a, uh, young Irish convict, uh, woman who is, uh, uh, she, works at this uh town and she sings and uh but she's also uh brutally raped by uh these uh british officers and uh it's it's like the first probably like 30 minutes of the movie maybe 40 kind of deal with that kind of putting you into that world which is very hard to watch i think that's a well she doesn't she doesn't just get raped there's like more stuff going on i don't know uh, yeah i know we'll we'll get to it okay <laughs> um but yeah it's 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 pretty bad it's pretty hard to watch um it premiered at sundance and i think i think one person in the audience uh, well a lot of people like just either had a hard time watching it um because what's what makes it hard to watch but also a, a powerful 
is that you you sit there and you like can you endure all the emotions of this woman when she's raped and there's one scene in particular that is uh will never exit my mind um I, i was talking to brian uh briefly about it um a few days before and i had if I had watched this right after my son was born, I would have had a hard time. I don't think I even would have stayed or stayed around because um, my my heart was in such a delicate place. That's why when I watched the movie Mother, that being the first movie I watched after my son was born, I just couldn't do it and I had to leave. Um, so since then, um, I've kind of opened up to watching some of these films that are very hard to watch um, just because I, I, I would say that I'm a very sensitive person. And a lot of these things, they're hard to watch, but I think they're important to watch, uh, especially something like this, which I don't think, even though it's a period piece, it's not necessarily a period piece uh, uh, to me. Like it still rings true for today that there's, you know, women out there that will be, you know, stuck in a room and raped by several men. And this movie has a heartbreaking scene where uh she this woman is raped by two men and then her because uh, it is a revenge tale you know that there's death involved and then you see at the beginning of the movie that she has a baby so you can put two and two together on that and it's very hard to watch so hard incredibly painful but what jennifer kent does really well um to kind of heighten that mood is that she puts the focus on on uh, the main woman, uh, Claire. And uh, you just see a close-up of her face that she's getting raped, brutally raped, savagely raped. And it's, it's like I said, so hard to watch, but you are, you are meant to feel uncomfortable, to be disturbed. Um, and I guess to be truthful about it, like, you know, at that moment, I was just thinking, fuck this movie. Like, fuck you for putting me through this it's so hard like i I, it just took me back to watching the mother watching mother when it involves a a very heartbreaking scene and it just got me emotional but at the same time i think it's like i said it's important to kind of go through these things because there's people out there that go through it and uh if if you want to be an ignorant person and uh say that just say that it's grotesque and it's disturbing and then just chalk it up as that. Uh, I think you are being an ignorant person, but, um, for, to, to kind of go through this experience, very emotional, very emotionally draining experience. Uh, it's hard. It's not, it's not really a movie that's easy to recommend at all. Like uh, when I actually put pen to paper, when I'm writing my thoughts about this, it's going to be, I don't, I don't, I don't think many people are going to just go see it. And, but, but that's, that's something that I face all the time because I, I truly go to the movies because I like to feel, I liked those emotions. I, the, the best movies to me of the year are the ones that I can't stop thinking about. And I love going to see movies like Hobbs and Shaw and Marvel films, which, you know, granted like in game had its emotional moments that were, that were more powerful than I was expecting. But, uh, it's movies like this that I won't be able to shake at all. Um, oh, wow. Look at you. So, um, you know, you, you probably watch it one time and then be like, you know, never again. 
and that's fine. I think Jennifer Kent is fine with that. I think, uh, like even when I talked to, uh, Asley, uh, I'm going to butcher her last name, but Franciosi, Franciosi, she was in Game of Thrones. Um, she said that, you know, she completely understands that people are going to turn away from this. They're going to leave. And it's, and she understands that. Um, and I understand that as well too. Um, but you can't, if there's people that like at, at Sundance, there was people that came up to like her and Jennifer Kent and said, you know, this movie just got it. Like it, it understands the traumatic experience of being violently, uh, or facing violence in such a way in that, in that experience. And, uh, so you, you I mean, you can't say that it's just completely a brutal movie because I would say it's a brutal act, but not necessarily a brutal movie by its definition, I guess. But uh, the the fact that people can just have that experience is 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 uh, really it's nice that people can have like a cathartic experience out of this. You know, I've never been through anything like this or no. Um, many people in my life that have kind of faced something like this, but it is a topic that's, uh, come up in the world. And, uh, I mean, it just has me emotional. And so it's kind of like, it's hard to discuss, but it's an important movie to discuss. And so, um, I mean, you can talk about certain things about it. Like, uh, it may be slow to a lot of people, uh, cause it's like, it's, I mean, it's like two and a half hours long almost. And, um, but it's uh, kind of just putting you in that space, putting you in that headspace, and it's a torturous kind of experience, and like I said, emotional. But um, I mean, it is a revenge tale, um, so there is reward there, but I think not in the way that you're expecting. It, the movie unfolds very real, uh, realistically. Um, like just unfolds like real life. It may not have like those taken moments where you're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Hurrah. Hurrah. But, uh, it's just, you know, that sometimes things happen, not how you're expecting or not the way that you're wishing. Um, but yet I, I respect that Jennifer Kent kind of took it in that direction. And there's some good horror elements in this, uh, movie too. Um, I mean, just the horror of the situation of this woman, but, uh, there's like certain visual scenes, like one in particular toward the end of the film, near the end of the film, where uh, she, uh, Jennifer Kent like greatly illustrates the horror and the, the kind of like state of mind that going through such trauma can put you in, where you're just kind of like in a daze. Well, you and also she's have like, like a little PTSD in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so there's some scary images in this movie of like this, there's this particular scene where she dances in the, in the forest. That's uh, pretty horrifying to, to watch. But, um, I think just to sum up my entire thoughts, like I said, very hard movie to go through, but I think it's a rewarding journey. Um, it could have been a little bit shorter. I'm sure there's some things that they could have tightened up a little bit, but, uh, just kind of reviewing the movie in my head, which I don't really want to watch it ever again. Um, because I probably will be watching it very, a lot of times in my own head. (laughs) Um, that I don't necessarily need to get that, you know, uh, direct, 
uh, needle in the arm again that, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I would just say it's a really well-made film. Uh, not what I was expecting Jennifer Kent to produce for a sophomore film. Um, it's going to divide its audiences. People will love it um, or respect it, or and some people will hate it, and that's fine. That's fine, yeah. So, yeah, I watched it this morning, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the feel-good movie of the year. The feel-good movie of the year. It's a comedy, the Nightingale musical comedy. No, no, it's not. Um, so, I enjoyed the film. Jennifer Kent knows what she's doing when it comes to movie making. She really does. And especially in these genre, like this genre realm of horror or crazy revenge thriller, uh, even in period pieces too with this. And she just, just proves even more that she's a filmmaker. Like just please give her anything she wants. Let her do anything and keep it her way. Uh, but there's like a couple things about the movie that, you know, I haven't studied much upon history of this, like, you know, factual things, but, you know, like Preston said, you know, this woman, she's brutally gang raped and then her family has to watch it happen. And then there's even more stuff to it than that. I I mean, we're going into spoilers here. Uh, probably, probably not since it's not wide, but I mean, we can just suggest that there's, there's some crazy ass shit. That yeah. If that doesn't sound, if that sounds like the worst, no, it gets even worse because again, there's a family and then other things happen, but this kind of, and it's done by these British officers and throughout the movie, you kind of switch back from these British officers and this woman who, uh, kind of takes up an unlikely friendship with uh, a black guy who back then was aboriginal yeah, aboriginal like uh that was like a no-no back then but they kind of like she's off to kill the in particular three british officers who were like in uniform so my i don't know if it's a complaint as much but you know these villains these these three police officers it's just like every time you see them they are constantly just one upping their evilness and almost to the point of like, there is no point for it. Maybe that's, maybe that's what it was just like, they're just bad, evil men. And there's like, no, no, nothing that is said really other than at the very end of the film when she confronts one of them, but it's like just one line but it, it, like the atrocities these three men do, it's just like, why is it happening? Like, is it just like to my, my thought was like, is, is Jennifer just trying to convey the fact that they're just completely evil, you know, just like, and they deserve what's coming to them, you know, in a way. And like Preston said, it doesn't end like you think it will. Like, you know, like the movie, I spit on your grave, like great revenge flick kind of in a similar way of, a group of people, a group of men brutally raping and beating this woman. And she goes out and she like, Oh yes. The, the clap moments. And while there might be one of those moments kind of in the middle of the film, I'm glad that they went the way in the end because we kind of like saw what she did. And I was like, it's brutal. 
Uh, so I'm glad they went the other direction of it because it's not so much her story too, but as of the Aboriginals story as well. So I'm kind of, I really like what she did there. Um, and I mean, overall, I mean, I feel like I loved it just, just like Preston did, but you know, it, like, again, it's like hard to take in and you watch it and you're like, okay, I, I enjoyed that. But like, oh man, I like, you can't get it out of your head. Like you said, again. It's it's difficult to get some of the stuff like did it, did she get these accounts from like history, you know like it's, it's hard to believe somebody could be this crazy and evil, um, and I mean it's just full frontal on screen and, uh, you know what Jennifer's saying here like is it like it's a powerful thing to say and just showing the emotions and the PTSD and stuff like that, like you don't usually get in these revenge films is truly good in like kind of a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Well, I think when stuff like this happens in other movies, like for instance, one thing that comes to mind is hostiles, uh, of, of a, a woman in the very beginning of the film, uh, involves her children getting killed and her husband. And I think they, they deal with it, but you know, there's still like an, a, a relationship in there that ha- takes form and it has like, it's, you can feel like Hollywood's fingers kind of coming on it a little bit, even though I think there is a lot of in, uh, important things that they do in that film, especially with like, uh, the, the racial divide and this movie does it too. But I think that the, the way that Jennifer Kent does it, it's like this is how it would happen in real life. Like I, I, I don't feel that Hollywood is in this movie at all. That um, it's not really a cinematic experience in the way that we're used to it being. Um, from my understanding, and I've listened to a few interviews with Jennifer Kent when she's talking about the movie. Uh, she did. She did a huge dive into the time period and the sorts of violence uh, that occurred at the time and and the violence that's kind of happening in the world today. Um, But she wanted to be true to the period and to kind of just be as specific as possible so you can relate to it. And I think that that comes through. So um, I, I don't. It's not a movie that you'll enjoy. I, I did not enjoy this movie, but it's it just I have so much respect for it that a movie or a filmmaker was so bold to kind of go in this direction with a story that if it had been in the hands of another filmmaker, I could feel it having those hurrah moments. Um, where, where, like you were saying with that spit on your grave, where you're just clapping it kind of, kind of like, you know, ending of, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, and those, those are greatly in, enjoyable films despite the, you know, the, the story at, at hand. But, uh, for something like this, I just, just going to keep saying what I've been saying. I, I just, uh, it's just going to haunt me for a long time. Right, yeah, no, it's a it's a good it's a good film. It's I mean, and like when I say we say we enjoy it, like you know, we we enjoy like the movie making aspect of it, and like performances are really good. But like, is it like the sto- like the story is you know great? But I mean, is it something like you're going to sit down, and eat popcorn, and watch with your friends and family? Oh God, no! Like this is not a movie that's like no, I look to it's, again. it's going to be like Schindler's List 
as soon as you see that you're no you take the family members good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. You just gotta clear your schedule for the rest of the day. Know that you're, uh, just going to go on a journey and it's going to take, you're going to be going through your own after effects of, of, of the film. Right, right, right. Mm. Nightingale coming out to a theater near you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're lining up, you're purchasing your tickets. Yep. No, just expect no. I, I strongly, yeah. You know, we say all this and, and there's going to be people listening that are going to go, hell no, that that's not for me. Totally. You know, there's there's a lot of heartache in the world, and that's like a common thing that people say. It's just like, uh, you know, I endure so much in my own life. Why the hell would I want to go through something like that? And I was like, uh, uh, like I said earlier about liking movies that that make me feel and or daring enough to just kind of go places that uh, a lot of filmmakers tend to not, or Hollywood doesn't. Um, it's just that sense of reward after. Like, uh, there's, there, it's great when I go see like these early morning screenings at like 11 in the morning or whatever. And then I'm just truly affected by it. And then I go home and, you know, I hug my dog, I hug my son, I hug my wife and I just have like a more appreciation for the world. Like you think you have a bad day and then you watch something like this and you're like, uh, nope, nope, nothing compares. So it's just like, it just, uh, realigns or puts you on a different track in life a little bit. It may be temporary. You may just kind of go through experience something like this and then go and then have certain feelings and you may approach living your life differently for a temporary thing. And then another great film might come along and then just kind of put you back. And so it's, it's just good to be aware of the type of stuff that goes on in the world and has gone on in the world and then um, to just just kind of have a sense of growth. So I guess that's that's the the parting thought on that. There you go. Yeah. The, good. Well said, sir. Nightingale. All right. Shall shall we move on to our second feature presentation? Yeah. There. There's my contributions for the episode because I did not see this movie. Um, I did want to see it. So yeah, scary stories we tell in the dark. Um, so I have, I've not read the, I have not read this. Uh, it was not something that was a part of my childhood at all. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I just, yeah, I just never read it. Um, but yeah, the idea of, uh, the director of autopsy of Jane Doe and Guillermo del Toro coming on and then watching the trailer and be like, okay, yeah, that, there, there's some good stuff in there. I, I could see myself having a good time watching that, but I've heard very mixed reactions. Uh, people I greatly respect, uh, some of them liked it. Uh, they did find it scary and I've heard quite a few people say that it's boring and, it's uninteresting. So, um, I have a feeling that you fall in the ladder. So where do you stand on this, Brian? So, yes, uh, I, and I'll start off by saying like, I read the books growing up at the book fair and elementary and middle school and all that good stuff. So I, I knew the kind of the stories, you know, going in and it was like Preston said, excited from the Andre Overdahl from autopsy of Jane Doe and Grimaldo Toro doing it. So my, I'll just tell you my, my pull quote, <laughs> uh, in a 
that'll give you an, a, a semblance of what I feel about the movie. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a painful and sloppy movie that I couldn't wait until it ended. I'm going to call you out by name. Andre Overdahl and Guillermo del Toro, you should have known better than to release something this bad to the public. And mm. that is what I have to say about that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, why is it so, that bad? So, yeah. <laughs> oh my, Preston! I mean, this movie. I was I was excited about this movie, and you probably know I was like, the trailers look good, and I just it, and you have this talent behind it, and it. Oh, good God! They really fucked the pooch on this one completely. At, at, at what point in the film were you like? This is a lost cause. Ten minutes in. <laughs> oh wow! It's just well, uh, okay, like twenty minutes in, and then it like just like kept getting worse because so it takes place in the nineteen sixties during the presidential election of Richard Nixon, which has nothing really to do with the film. And you know, you kind of so these scary stories based on the books, they're like really short stories, um, you know, several pages long, kind of like ghost stories. So. Uh, they made this feature film where it has like a group of kids in the sixties end up in this haunted house and where in town where this uh, haunted house was owned by the Bellows family and the Bellows family kept one of their daughters, it locked and tortured in a basement where she wrote these scary stories and these scary stories try to come true. And now this was like happened hundred years prior. And so now in the sixties, they take this book they find written by this girl and the book starts writing itself in blood and the stories happen to each one of the friends that were in the haunted house and they with you know the stories from the actual books so you have uh the pale lady the herald the scarecrow the toe monster and the me tied doty walker and Kind of all mixed into one. And, oh my goodness, what doesn't work about this movie? Well, first off, let me tell you what does work. Uh, the practical effects here are pretty amazing. You can tell that uh, Andre, you know, still knows how to do horror. Because uh, a couple of the very quick flashes moments of horror are done very well. In particular, the Meetai Doty Walker scene. Practical effects was, like, really good and... You know, kind of like, okay, I, I get it. You know, not like scary, like I'm going to have nightmares. But, you know, I would say like for like a six-year-old, like, yeah, that might scare them. Uh, other than that, you won't be. Um, so that aspect was pretty good to it. Um, other than that, you know, 95% of the movie was god-awful. The performances were super stale and terrible. You don't recognize anybody in it except for a couple very, very minute side characters um, and then the dialogue and delivery is so even worse than that. It is so bad. There's a line in the movie where literally the person says, you don't read the book. The book reads you. And it's just like line after line like that throughout the entire film. And it's like cringeworthy where I actually cringed and looked at, you know, our fellow, uh, friends and colleagues. And we're just like, Oh my God, that was bad. And a lot of, like, the side plots in this movie don't pan out to go anywhere and just seem like filler. 
it's a very slow moving movie. Nothing happens for like the first 15 minutes and you're just kind of like, okay, what's going to happen? It doesn't start out with a bang or anything. It's just, it's a bad film and Del Toro and Overdahl should be very upset and ashamed of themselves for releasing this. What a fucking mess this movie is. Not good at all, besides kind of the practical effects. But, oh, uh, yeah. And so, you know, like in in It, uh, the remake of It, they kind of like got like a like couple of the characters were like comedic with their dialogue. Yeah. So uh, there's one character in here that's that way, but it is every joke falls flat and is completely forced. It's so bad. Oh, they just it's it's it's, it's awful. I I was very upset after uh, after watching it, and I just like kept on like, oh my god, I wish I had a watch so I could like <laughs> look at my watch constantly to see how uh, fast this can be over because it's like 110 minutes. It's almost two hours, and it just goes on for way too long, and it's it's bad. It's not good. I don't. I mean. I can't see this movie making money considering Hobbs and Shaw came out last week. Uh, so it's, yeah, I Preston be happy that you didn't see this movie. Um, yeah, I, I'm very glad I didn't. Yeah. It's, um, for something with this talent in it, like crew making it and something that's kind of beloved of, you know, two generations kind of thing. It's just, I don't understand where where it went wrong here and where somebody as talented as Guillermo or Andre didn't, like, stop and was like, okay, we need to redo this completely. But they were happy releasing it. So, I don't know. Why do you think this movie has 83% on Rotten Tomatoes? I legitimately, does it really? Yeah. I, I have no idea why. I mean, how many reviewers is that? Let's see. 48. 48. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I must have watched a completely different movie. But everybody that I sat next to did not like it. <laughs> They're all like, oh, my God, that was awful. Like the critical consensus is like the best-selling series of books that inspired it, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, opens a creepy gateway into horror for younger genre enthusiasts. And that's... Uh, I've seen that comment on Twitter of people saying, if you're very familiar with the genre, it's probably not one for you. But if you're like a casual horror film watcher or very young audience member, like I could I could probably see myself as an eighth grader going in this as like a makeout movie or something and then going in and being like, Woo, yeah, it has its uh, hand-holding moments and stuff like that, but I don't know as an adult if it does. But, you know, there's there's also people that, uh, like I said, that I greatly respect who actually enjoyed this. And so, uh, I, I mean, I don't have anything to say about it because I haven't seen it. But I mean, I'd like to talk kinda... to these people who really liked it because I don't understand. I mean, terrible dialogue is terrible dialogue. Terrible pacing is terrible pacing. Terrible acting is terrible acting that doesn't make a good movie and the story how it was assembled was horrific like it 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 doesn't keep your interest and you're just like waiting for like the next jump scare and rinse and repeat after each kid you know it's i don't see how you would like that and you know even a casual movie fan 
notices bad dialogue and shit like that. And, you know, and I will say, I'll be the first to say, like, the Meetai Doty Walker was a great idea, and kind of that scene, uh, short sequence, was great with him. But other than that, like, in practical effects, of course, I'm glad they did that. But I... Even with even the casual film goer or something like that, or new to the horror genre, you're just like, no, this didn't work at all. Especially with Guillermo del Toro and Andre at it, you know, you just have to feel like someone did, someone had an overall say, and it wasn't them. And because we've seen Del Toro do kid stuff very well, and this is not it. And I, I. Do I would love? I literally would like to talk to somebody who really thought this was a good movie because it's not. It's it's really not. <clears throat> we'll call uh, Michael Phillips of the Chicago Tribune and ask him why he says the movie's good even when it goes in too many dire- uh, directions at once because it gets the kids right. It, it does not get the kids right. They got the kids right in it chapter one for sure. This one they do not. No, nothing is relatable about them at all. One note ridiculousness, and I mean, you got to think like a critic like that actually didn't watch the movie <laughs> because they don't get the kids right. <laughs> okay, so uh, I haven't read through this, but Matt Donato, friend of the show, he's been on here. He says that it's a gateway horror film that treats intended audiences to many a scream, pulling no punches, no watering down, nightmarish conjurings that remind how healthy. Fearful emotions can be at any age. Mm, dis- so disagree. Let's get let's get him on the phone here. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, Regis Philbin this shit. Yes. and call him up. <laughs> yes, please phone a friend. Uh, no, don't disagree. Don't see this movie. Don't give it money. Does not deserve to have a sequel. <laughs> Go see Peanut Butter Falcon or Nightingale instead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I guess I just. Out of curiosity, just because that divides there, it's curious. And I'm sure there's going to be people who probably will go hate watch this, like the new Cats movie. But um, so, yeah, I guess I'll just see what it's like on Blu-ray. But um, I mean, I trust you. I trust uh, a lot of my close friends, even James Cole Clay, who saw this, did not like it. He We put up his review this morning on Fresh Fiction TV and... Yeah, he wasn't too kind to it. Uh, I gave it a C grade. I imagine that you would probably give it a D grade or an F grade, Brian. But uh, yeah, D minus. <laughs> just because I give it a D minus because of like the practical effects and the Meetai Doty Walker. Like that was a cool sequence. Like this Meetai Doty Walker was scary looking. All of his limbs come off, and he like oozes himself to put him back together. Like that was cool. Like I wish they stuck more to that. But the rest of the film is, and that's only like a very like you know forty five second sequence. And mm-hmm. like the rest of the time, it's like, God damn, this is terrible. And even for a younger audience, it's just like, I, I don't, I, I must have, I was excited for this movie, <laughs> and it was so bad. Well, bummer. Bummer, but, man. Uh, yeah, big bummer. Um, so yeah, I guess scary stories to tell in the dark. Nightingale, uh, the boys, Alice, sweet Alice. Um, there's some good stuff in there, mostly good stuff. Um, and then I, I guess we'll just single out scary stories as the bad one. Um, so yeah, I guess that's all we have for this week. Yeah. We'll be back next week with some more uplifting movies like Nightingale two in space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, we are My Bloody Podcast. Look us up. iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play. Subscribe. Let us know how we're doing. I'm Brian Kluger on BoomstickComics.com and HiveDefDigest.com, where you can see interviews and movie reviews, Blu-ray and high-def stuff. And you can find me at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Brian Kluger, even though I'm not on there. <laughs> <laughs> You can you can ask to be my friend, but it probably won't happen. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you can look at the stuff that I posted years ago. Yeah, you, can, you actually you can look me up on YouTube, Brian Kluger. I posted a, a couple of interviews and me playing a claw machine and losing <laughs> <laughs> at an arcade. And it was fun. Cool. And then Preston's all over the place. You can t- find him everywhere, right? Yes, you can find me everywhere. Um, I just, uh, you might find me everywhere if there's somebody out there that uh, roasts me for hating on the new Dora the Explorer movie, Dora and the Lost City of Gold, which I did not like it at all. Hated it. And, uh, is it that like, movie getting good reviews though? Yes, it is. What the fuck? And it's baffling. I don't know what's going on. Um, yeah, currently it is at 72%. It was at one point like 90, but there's fewer reviews. But then I was so pissed that at the time, um, like I, I just interviewed one of the actors in the film and uh, he was great. I enjoyed talking to him. Um, and there was, there's positive things to focus on in the film. So I could still just have a, a good interview, a good discussion with him. But <clears throat> I, I just did not think it was a good movie. Uh, and there's people that are putting up, uh, even in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, that are saying, like, it's like young Indiana Jones. It's so fun. And I, I just feel like we saw a different movie. Like what you're saying with Scary Stories, I just don't understand. Um, granted, we did see it earlier than most people because uh, we saw, like, a rough cut. Like some of the animation wasn't fi- finalized. But I can't imagine that they inserted new footage in there to replace the other shit that's in there. But, uh, so yeah, my, I was so upset that it was at 78%. And then I wrote something real quick, uh, not to just shit on the movie, but, uh, <laughs> I was pretty upset and I, it's the big movie of the week. So I had to say something. So I wrote like an extended summary and I said, it's, it's bad. It's like my, uh, master of disguise, bad. And I'm sure Somebody might screenshot that, and then uh, they'll come attack me on Twitter. But if you want to do that, you can do that at Preston Barta, B-A-R-T-A, if you go see the movie this weekend, uh, which I don't imagine you are if you're a horror fan. But if you got some kids and you got to take them to something, um, please don't. <laughs> don't don't take them to go see Door in the Lost City of Gold. Or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Bring them to but, Nightingale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, take them the nightingale. Really just uh, discourage them from making any wrong choices in life. So, uh, yeah, I got some stuff written on FreshFiction.tv and most uh, mostly on Denton Record Chronicle, DentonRC.com. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. You can follow me on Instagram. You can see, like, some uh, cool Blu-ray art and just most recently celebrated my wife's uh, birthday and I posted a picture of us at this, uh, uh, after party of a premiere in Los Angeles and we were intoxicated and we went up to Topher Grace 
and we're chatting with him. And uh, we said, because uh, for me, my all-time favorite show is that 70s show. It's just like it's it, it just was the show that I watched when it came out, watched every episode, have it memorized. And uh, so I was happy to go up to him, and I was just, you know, I had my liquid courage. So I went up to him, and I was just like, God, man, I'm just like a huge fan of that 70s show. And so I, I just have to shake your hand. He's like, oh, man, that's cool. Like, you know, uh, uh, trust me, this is going somewhere. And then my wife was like, I love all your all your movies. Like, I even love How to Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. <laughs> and it took everything from me not to spit out my drink and so he he just seemed to be so charmed by it that we were just being humans and uh not just putting up this you know facade or something and uh so he was like let's take a picture together so we took a selfie and i never posted that selfie and so I did it for her birthday. So if you can go on Instagram, you can see that selfie with my wife and I and Topher Grace. How did you get into a uh, after party with Topher Grace? I uh, I got to go to uh, the premiere of American Ultra. Um, oh yeah. I, yeah. So I, I, they flew me out there. The studio flew me out there, and I just uh, was a social media person. I just uh, was the hype man. I was just. Uh, because Kristen Stewart's in there, and trust me, if you go on Twitter and you type in Kristen Stewart, you say anything, you could say Kristen Stewart is a god. Uh, you will get like 90 retweets from all these Kristen Stewart bots. So uh, I was not like everything that I put out. Like I took a picture of the red carpet, and it just blew up <laughs> on there. Um, so it was exciting that I could just be like, all right, they're about ready to come out. And here's the movie. And then uh, my wife and I dressed up and got to stay at this fancy hotel. And we walked the carpet and got our picture taken on the carpet. Um, that's somewhere on my Instagram somewhere, too. Like, if you go down, you can find it somewhere from a couple of years ago. Um, so, I don't know. It was a really fun experience. And, yeah, like, after the movie, they had a, a party on the rooftop. And it had... Uh, Kristen Stewart was there. Uh, Taylor Lautner was there, even though he's not in the movie, but he's there to support his, his uh, friend. And uh, I talked to Max Landis there. And John Landis was there. Oh, my goodness. And Max Landis actually approached me because just uh, probably a month or so before I talked to him, I think it was at the Dallas International Film Festival, uh, he came in to celebrate his dad, who was getting a, a like a lifetime achievement type of award from the Dallas International Film Festival. And he, before he was getting shit on, right. uh, uh, he so he at the time he was he was just being really honest with me. And at this point, he's just he has no filter. He'll. He was just telling me he, – he recognized me from this interview that I did with him in, the, in Dallas, and then he approached me. He said, hey, I know you. And I was like, yeah, we talked on the red carpet. You actually crashed my interview with uh, Chris Lord and or, or Chris Miller and Phil Lord. And uh, so we had a good chat about that. And so I don't know. Like the whole experience was fun, kind of wild, and uh, that was like one of the exciting experiences of my life because it just seemed like something that you you know you read about or you see movies about and you don't necessarily experience yourself. I'm not a LA critic, so I don't get to go to 
all those cool stuff. They don't do premieres out here in Dallas. I mean, they do, but they're not for good movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So uh, we lived that quiet lifestyle, and it was cool to just be invited to something like that. So, yeah, there's a story on the tail end of this uh, uh, review. <laughs> there you go. I like it. I like it. All right, my bloody podcast, Preston Barta, Brian Kluger, Topher Grace. Thank you, Topher. <laughs> Thank you, Topher. Uh, we'll be back next week, all right? Yeah.